we're starting a new series today, but it's kind of an old series. For some of you, it's new because you weren't here in 2018. I was going to ask for a show of hands of who wasn't here in 2018, but pretty sure it's at least half or more of you. And um, so in some ways, it's new. And it's going to be new because I'm not the kind of person who just preaches exactly the same sermon from the same text. Um, if that's the case, we could just play a recording and I could be golfing. Um, so it's new in that it's new because we're coming now as a different church. We're not the same church we were in 2018. It's not just that there's different people here. Even the people who are here are not the same. In fact, it would be rather sad to me if we were exactly the same church we were in 2018. Not because that church was bad. It's just because that means we wouldn't have grown at all in, you know, five years. It'd be really sad if you were like, yeah, I'm exactly the same Christian I was in 2018. It's like, that's not something to be proud of. We shouldn't even be saying I'm exactly the same Christian I was yesterday. There should be this deep desire in us to keep growing and to be, to be healthier as a church and to be better able to do what God is, is leading us and empowering us to do. So we come to this, this back to this series about healthy church, which is an really a good continuation of what we looked at in the book of Acts. And I think this is going to be helpful. And, and, and I think it's going to be helpful for not just us here, but it's also for those who, who still haven't returned from COVID. You know, they're still home for whatever reason. They still haven't re-engaged with the church. It's also going to be good for those of you who you're new to this church You've just started visiting or you've been coming for a while and you're thinking of, of joining with us. Regardless of what situation we're in, whether you've been here throughout the whole time, whether you've been gone for a while and now it's like, I need to go back, um, or whether you're brand new, what I hope we accomplish in this series is to help you understand why you should return or why you should join, or why you should continue. In fact, those of you who haven't yet returned, and I'm talking now to the people I can't see, they're online. People who haven't, who haven't it's what, what to expect when you get here. Because in some ways, the church looks the same. And there's a lot of familiar faces, but in a lot of ways, church is very different. And I also hope from this series that all of us get a better sense of where we're going. What is God doing in our midst? To kind of use this language that's not great, but it's the best I can do right now, is that we want to know what a healthy church should look like. We want to know what a healthy church should feel like. What should the experience be of a healthy church? And we want to know what results from a healthy church. 
So if you look on the, in your programs, if you look in that middle section and on the very back, you'll see where it has this, the summary points from this Healthy Church series. It's called a Romans 12 Church that we had in 2018. And again, we're coming back to it, but we're not spending as much time as we did that time. We're coming back to it, but I remind you of that as, as, as you pray and you pray about this church and what we want God to do in this church, I think it's summarized so well in Romans 12. I'm only going to cover the first three verses of Romans 12 today, but I want to read the whole text. So Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. God, we look at this and, and there's a part of us that thinks this is awesome, this is wonderful, and there's another part of us, God, that thinks this is hard, this is scary. And God, that's exactly where we need to be as we come to your word. And God, we ask now that you would help us 
that as your word has already been read, and now as it's expounded upon and it's proclaimed, God, that we would listen expectantly. And we would listen for your message to us of how we can best be your church. And God, remind us again and again, it is not for our sake that we want to be healthy. It is so that you can use us to reach those who are sick, those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who are confused. And so God, as we prepare for that holy and sacred task, teach us now. It's in your name I pray, amen. So we see here this picture. We see this picture that Paul gives us. And, and those of you who came on Wednesday nights, you know, we went over this. So I'm not going to give the long version. But a lot of Paul's letters are written this way. First half of the letter, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about what we might call theology, what we believe. And then somewhere along the way, he uses the, the Greek equivalent for what is translated as therefore. And from that point on, he's saying, look, all this stuff that I just told you about who God is, who Jesus is, what Jesus did for us, this is what should result in it. This is what your life should look like. This is what the church should look like. And he's very clear. Unfortunately, we can't always keep that together. There's a lot of people who are specialists in Romans 1 through 5 and don't even know the rest of it. It's like Romans 1 through 5, that's the really important stuff, the part about justified by faith. You know, that church part at the end, not that important. And then there's other people that are like experts at the church part, the ethics. This is what it looks like. It's how we should live. And they forget that that results from faith in what Jesus Christ accomplished. They divorce the two and it, it's like it doesn't make any sense that we do this because Paul's really clear. They are connected. Right beliefs lead to right actions. Right beliefs lead to the church being the church the way God intended it to be. We can try to get the form of a church, but if we do, it is like the house built on sand. Something starts to rock it, there's no foundation upon which to stand. But when we understand the gospel, when we understand that we have been transformed and we are being indwelt and empowered by God to be the church, totally different. We're still going to have problems, but we're not built on sand. Too many churches who actually have all the right beliefs can check all the boxes on what the right things to believe don't end up resulting in what the church should be. Or they have the form of a church and they can check off all the beliefs, but they're not connected. Their beliefs and their practices are separate. The slightest storm comes, things fall apart. 
And I think part of the reason the church struggles with this, and it's not just a modern thing, it's been going on for a long time. And I'm not talking just from when before, you know, when I was born, even we're going back centuries. We struggle with this. The church struggles with this because it doesn't really understand the value of the gospel and it doesn't really understand the value of a community that's filled with people who have been transformed by the gospel. They don't understand the power and the value of communities saturated in God's love. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because we get evidence of it almost every day. And, you know, John sometimes uses the phrase, it's time for some tough love. Well, here's some tough love. How many people after COVID started to re-engage with all their other communities except the church? They even started re-engaging with their Walmart community before the church. Why? What is the value of the Christian community? This is happening not, it, it really in our church the percentage is very small, but nationwide there are more and more people who have who have accepted the convenience, the convenience of online attendance to the reality of community and relationships of being in person. It is no longer about that they're, you know, they're, they have genuine health concerns. It is now convenience versus community. And you know what? I didn't come to church before COVID because of community. Why should I start coming to church after COVID because of community? And thank you, COVID. You made what I wanted to get out of church so much more convenient. I kind of wish I could buy that because you know what I would be doing? I'd be having worship service over here and I would have it on mute, but I'd be watching the Cowboys play their NFL football game over here. Because you know what? I am the, mo I am the multitasker. We have evidence all the time of people who have decided that the power of the communities that God wanted to create, that he calls the church, it's just not that valuable. It's not that important. And yet, it's presented. Uh, get this, get this. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. I sometimes joke around, maybe too much, but I always call Cheryl my favorite wife. But if I said, she's my bride, she's my wife, you would immediately realize she's really important to me. That she's got to be at least in the top five important human beings in my life. Maybe number one. 
The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ, and we're like, yeah, kind of important. Kind of important. Maybe it's okay. Our, one of our pastors on the mainland is like saying, how can you say you love Jesus and I hate his bride? How can you say that? How can you say I love Jesus and his bride? is like, meh. How can we say this? See, it's not just that the world has lost the value and the power of gospel-transformed communities. It's that the church has lost it. And we have this kind of uh, take-it-or-leave-it attitude towards church. I'll get there when I get there. Oh, something else came up. My dad, you know, and I'm sure when we moved to Hawaii, he drove the people at the schools crazy. But if my brother was like in marching band, if they had scheduled a rehearsal on Sunday morning, my dad was at the principal's office talking to him. How can you do this? How can you be scheduling times during people's times of worship? But you know what? We have more and more people go, ah, that's when the sports are. So, you know, that's all we got to do. We not only have lost the value, we're no longer even reinforcing the value to our own kids. Let me tell you, we talk about healthy churches here not just because it would make Pastor John and my jobs easier. Not because we could like have a badge and say, look, we got a healthy church. No. It's because a healthy church fulfills the kingdom purposes of God. The healthy church is the sign of the hope for the world. Human beings, you don't have to keep doing what you're doing to each other. You don't have to keep pretending to like each other just so you can take advantage of each other and use each other. There's another way. And the church is supposed to be evidence of that other way. We've all been transformed by Jesus Christ. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We should be experiencing community here like nowhere else. Not just so we can say, hey, I got this great group I belong to so that the world can see the difference the gospel makes. The power of God. The kingdom. And that song that we sang reminds us again and again that this is impossible without God. It's impossible if we haven't been transformed. I want you to make sure you, you don't miss this either. value of the church to the world, the value of the church to God's kingdom purposes, we need to remember that because we forget that. But I don't want you to miss this. There still is great value in being part of a healthy church to us in this life. There's nothing wrong with 
benefiting from being part of a healthy church. As long as the benefits we receive is not the thing that matters most. Paul, you know, we saw that. Remember in Acts, we saw Paul who's, who started healthy churches, who was part of a healthy Christian community. What do we see in Paul? We saw strength. We saw strength to be able to go through situations that would crush most of us. But we didn't just see strength. We saw joy. When he wrote Philippians from being under house arrest for at least a couple years, it's full of joy. And we see the receiving and the giving of a deep love. It's the healthy church. It's the importance. We need to regain the value. We need to see why God puts so much emphasis on not just having clubs that meet together, but being healthy Christian communities. So we look at the first part of this in Romans 12, verse 1. And he uses this phrase and he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What, does, what, you know, what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying is, what we need to be, if we want to be a healthy church, is we need to offer all that we are to God. Not some, not most, all. He uses this really you know, strange phrase, which would have been strange in the first century, and it's strange to us in the 21st century, but for different reasons. He uses that phrase, living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. It would have been strange in the first century because one thing that all sacrifices had in common was that the sacrifice died. You know, there's one kind of exemption in, in, in you know, Hebrew thought, but the sacrifice died. You brought the common practice, whether you were practicing the, you know, the, the, the Jewish sacrifices or the Greco-Roman sacrifices, that if you brought a sacrifice, the sacrifice died. For us, it's kind of different because we don't really understand sacrifice. You know, I asked people Wednesday night, how many of you have actually seen an animal sacrifice before? Nobody had. Then I asked the second question, how many of you have ever even seen an animal killed, not one you ran over with your car, but you actually saw somebody, you know, slaughter an animal. And again, very, very few people. It's just not common to us. We, we just don't see it. The image is somewhat lost on us. We think sacrifice is doing anything that we perceive to be a little bit hard. You know, I sacrificed, um, I didn't have my usual candy bar at two because I was saving up for dessert tonight. That's my sacrifice. Oh, I sacrificed because, you know, when I got that new car and they had the leather seats, I said, no, I'm going to sacrifice. No leather seats. For us, sacrifice is, it, it doesn't really have that same thing and it doesn't really have the connection to being offered in some type of like 
religious ritual. So it's weird to us in a different way. But when he says living sacrifice, even though it's weird to us, we understand what he means. We understand that that he's not saying, oh, go out and get yourself killed for God. He's saying, no, give your life to Christ. And when it's a sacrifice, it's given. It's not given and then taken back. It's given. It's God's. Totally different attitude. Not just my possessions are God. Everybody gets all freaked out. Oh, sounds kind of cultic. You know, we're going to start asking for all our possessions. No, it's not about your possessions that are God. It's about everything that you are, God. It's offered to God as a living sacrifice. God, such that it is, please take it. That's what I offer. And it's not because God needs it. It's not because somehow this living sacrifice is going to get God to do something he wasn't already going to do. The presenting of the living sacrifice is for us. Notice what he says. He says, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You see, if we don't know Paul, if we haven't studied Paul, if we haven't read the rest of Romans, we're going to see, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. Okay, before I present my bodies, what I need to do is get perfect and holy. That's what I need to do. And then I can present myself. No. If you know Paul, Paul goes, if you told Paul that, he'd be like, have you not read me? Have you not listened to a word I've said? You cannot make yourself holy. You cannot make yourself acceptable. But thank God, Jesus Christ came, offered himself as the sacrifice, resurrected from the dead. And through faith in Jesus Christ, you are holy and acceptable because you have been given the righteousness of Christ. But it's holy and acceptable. Holy and acceptable. We, we are urged to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And it should be holy and acceptable. We can only do that if we are believers in Jesus Christ who have been now given his righteousness. We are viewed by God through the righteousness of Christ. And then look what he says. He says, which is your spiritual worship? Paul does something really important here. He connects, he connects spiritual worship with living sacrifice. You know, one of the struggles we have is, is we think worship means what we do here on Sunday morning. We think worship is singing a song. And worship can be singing songs. Make no mistake, it can be. In fact, you know, even when we were 
going through the process of bringing John, trying to come up with a title, you know, worship, it doesn't sound good to be like worship service, music, person, like this is not cool, so we had to come up with a title, but the title is not, it's, it's not really accurate, it doesn't really follow what's coming here in Romans, you see, a lot of people can come to worship services and sing worship music and never worship. Because worship is not simply the act that we do. It is the offering of ourselves as living sacrifices. It is something that should be taking place, worship should be taking place every second of the day with all that we are. You see, when we worship, what we're, what we're trying to do when we come together in corporate worship, one of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to corporately, together, acknowledge God's presence. If you're a living sacrifice... If you are, everything is God's. Every moment, everything that I am, what I'm doing is that in every moment, in every situation of life, I am acknowledging God's presence. And I'm pretty sure you're like me. And if you're not, I need to talk to you because you're way better than me and you maybe should become pastor. There are things I would never say, never do, not even think in the presence of God that I might do, I might say, and I might think if I don't think he sees. Again, some of you may be way better than me. You're so consistent. You're like, nope, I am totally consistent. But my guess is, you're probably like me. And it's hard. There are some times when I just want to do what I believe needs to be done because it's right and it's just. And it's not full of grace. And it's not full of love. But it's going to feel really good when I say it. You know, or I do it. Because that person really deserves it. And I want to pretend like God is like, you know, he's, he's busy with somebody else. I'm going to get away with this one. I mean, that's what we, again, that's, that's what we sometimes think. But if I truly am a living sacrifice and I know all that I am, I've offered to God every moment of my life. That's my worship. And you know when you live that way and you worship that way, this worship here, I'm going to use bad grammar here, is so much more awesomer. It's so much better. When you're singing those words or when you're hearing them, even if it's a song you never heard before, when you, it, it, it connects with you in a way because you've lived your whole life in worship 
And now you're gathered with a whole bunch of other people who live their whole lives in worship. And you're all worshiping together. When you're celebrating, it's full of joy. We should never have to tell people, stand up, sit down, do this, do that. It should just happen. It should just happen. When you're singing about the depth of the love of God, you know because you were spending the whole, life, the whole week in the presence of God, which meant you saw the depth of his love everywhere. And sometimes that morning as you're singing it, you're like, oh, now I understand what happened on Wednesday. Now I understand what God was doing Sunday morning. It's amazing. A surrendered church. If we're a church surrendered, it's not just each of us is surrendered, that we totally are surrendered. We're, we're giving up all the things we think church should be. And again, a lot of church members, and I think you guys are, are different. I think you guys kind of been around me long enough to know when I say something, it's not because in a sermon I'm proposing an agenda. I'm not. I'm simply saying, what is it about this place what is it about our programs during the day that if we change them, if they disappeared, you could just be like, I just can't do church anymore. If you came next Sunday and do what my dad did once, some of you know my dad was a pastor, my dad decided at our church he was going to take all the pews from the back out. It was like he burned a Bible in front of some people. How dare you take my favorite seat? It's terrible. But it's funny what we actually think is so valuable in the church. Are we willing to say we are surrendered and we're willing to make the changes that need to be made to be made if it's what God's directing us to be so that we can be a healthy church? It's not just about Surrendering your life, it's about us as a church. The second thing we see in verse 2. In verse 2 it says, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, if we don't understand Paul, we might think, you know what Paul's talking about? Paul's talking about going on a retreat for four days in total darkness. Um, NFL fans know who I'm talking about. And in that retreat, you are going to somehow get some inner sense of connection with God and transformation. That's not what Paul's talking about. If you've read Paul, you know what Paul says. Paul says, you need to be disciples. You need to be in the Word. You need to, you need to be under teachers who understand the Word and can effectively communicate it to you. That's what you need. As you're being discipled, two things are happening. One, you're being transformed. And you're not being transformed into disciples of the teacher. You're being transformed into disciples of Jesus Christ. If the teacher's really doing their job, they're not trying to make like mini versions of themselves. I know myself well enough to know I really don't want to unleash on the world hundreds of mini mats out there. It'd be scary. 
But I would love to see more and more people who are followers of Christ or disciples of Christ unleashing them on the world. That'd be awesome. But it's also not just transforming the mind. It's also preventing us from being conformed by the world. The world is constantly, constantly trying to shape our minds. Everybody, like, oh, you know, sometimes people talk like, oh, you Christian, you know, you're just trying to brainwash people. Do you understand that everything that happens in media is trying to get you to think something and do something? You do understand that, right? You do understand that when you, when you are exposing your children to media, everything in that media is trying to get your children to think something and do something. You do understand this, right? It's not just harmless entertainment. And I'm not saying all of it's bad. But I am saying this, at least some of it's bad. And I am going to ask you this. Do you actually know what is bad and what is good that you're exposing your children and your grandchildren to? Do we know? You see, if, if, if you and I spend a good, you know, two or three hours a week in God's Word, and then we spend 40, 50, 60 hours being inundated with the world's message, which way do you think our minds are going to go? If our children... Because we just don't think about it. We just connect them to whatever. And then they're getting a little Bible on Sunday. What do you th- which way do you think their minds are going? I say this is one of the mistakes I made as a parent. And I don't say it like I'm trying to make an excuse. I never really anticipated how pervasive the world's messaging was and how pervasive the media would become through the internet, streaming, etc. Never really understood it. My wife and I thought we were preparing our children, but I never understood that. I never understood that it wasn't like David and Goliath. It was like David and three million Goliaths fully armed with modern warfare and me with a little stick trying to fight them. There's a reason the church has lost the value of Christian community because it's not valued anywhere else. It's the opposite messaging and it's not always displayed in an ugly way. Sometimes the most dangerous lies to the church and to the faith are dressed up very pretty. 
What can you do? You know what you can do? You can be a disciple of Christ. You can take advantage of the opportunities this church offers, abundant opportunities to be discipled. And if you can't seem to connect with the ones we have here, come talk to Pastor John and me. We'd love to find a way to help you. When we do this, what happens? Look at at what it says happens. When, When we understand this, when our minds are being transformed, the renewal of our minds, we're being transformed. It says, from that, you can actually discern what is the will of God. A lot of people were like, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? And God's saying, you know what my will is? My will is, is that you become a disciple of Christ, you follow him, and as, as you grow and you learn, you'll be able to see my will. Great plan, God, but what's your will? And that's what we say. Oh, yeah, that's a very interesting process, God. That's a good option. Why don't you just tell me? You know why God doesn't just tell you his will for your life? Because until you're discipled, until you grow, you can't handle it. But there's so many people, especially, you know, in, when I was in college, you know, that was one of the main things if you had a, a series of seminars, so many people would sign up for how to know God's will in my life. Be a disciple. When we do this, then we, then we can see, we can see like what kind, what kind of community should be produced from the kingdom. You know, when, when I was reading from, you know, verse 9 on, as I was reading that, what were you thinking? When I was reading that, were you like, amen. I see some of that here, but I want more. That's awesome. Even if you thought like, that's so impossible. Let love be genuine. You know, love your enemies. That's so impossible, but I wish it were possible. Was that your reaction? Or did, were you more like, eh, okay. That's one way to live. That's one way to be a church. Or were you more like, I don't really like that. I don't want to be part of a community where I have to forgive people that do things wrong to me. I don't want to be part of a community where I have to love people who, who, who do things that I just don't like or who are trying to hurt me. I don't want to be part of that community. It's not appealing to me. Hopefully, you're the first person that I saw. You saw this and you're like, that's, what, that's awesome. That's the kind of community I want to be in. Those are the kind of relationships I want. That's the church I want. If you're the last one I said, you got to ask yourself a serious question. Do you really understand who Jesus is? Because Jesus is the one who said, love your enemies. The last point we see in verse 3, and it's kind of summarized where he says, we ought not to think more highly of ourselves. 
So we saw the discipling church, that discipleship is essential to being living sacrifices. Well, here we see one of the things discipleship leads to is greater humility. And humility, the way Paul's talking about here, humility shows up is when we have an accurate self-image of who we are. In his case, he's dealing with the more obvious one, the pride that shows up when we think we're better than we are. But I also want you to know there's another sign of, of pride. It's the opposite. The opposite sign of pride is not, it, it's the opposite of saying, I'm better than I am. It's when you actually say, I'm no good. I'm no good. God, you're powerful, you're great, you created this universe, you did that cool salvation thing. But you know the one thing you can't do? is you can't use me. You can't possibly teach me. You can't possibly give me anything that allows me to do more than what I think I can do. It's that kind of pride that's actually killing the church because it masquerades as humility. It's not humility because you're saying, God, you cannot, I cannot, and you can't do anything about it. Paul says, you want to be living sacrifice? You're going to be discipled? Discipleship leads to humility. Because as we're discipled, we start to get and we start to understand God is doing things in our lives we never thought was possible. God is giving us patience we never thought we could have. He's giving us love we never thought we could have. He's giving us kindness that we never thought we could have. And as that happens, that reaffirms in us that maybe, God, I was wrong. And maybe, maybe, I was full of pride in saying, no, you can't possibly use me that way. Humility is so important. I'm sure we'll jump into Philippians 2 at some point, and you can see this in Galatians chapter 5. It's listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit. The way I say it is humility is the mortar of church unity. It's the mortar of church unity. It's what holds all the bricks together. Discipleship. Christ, through his word and his spirit, teaching us, transforming us, humility results. What should you expect to see? What should you expect to see if, you, if you're here and if we keep following the path of being a healthy church? If you're out there and you haven't come back, but you were here before and you come back, what should you expect to see? If you're new to our church, what should you expect to see? Well, here's what I hope we'd see. Increasingly, I hope we see a church that's surrendered to God. A church that is discipling and being discipled. A church that is full of humble servants. Again, John uses the phrase, you know, tough love moments. Here's some tough love moments for you. If we're to be a surrendered church, are we willing to let go of any understanding of Christianity or the church that is not from God's word. Are you willing to let go of that? 
Think about what that means. Nowhere in God's word does it say meet in an air-conditioned building with padded pews. If this is church to you, I'm not saying it's going away, but I'm saying, has this place become an idol to you? If you think the times that Southern Baptists meet are sacred, you have to have worship at 10 Sunday morning. In my day, it was 1045. Only the liberals met any time later. Are we willing to let go of anything that's not from God's word? And it's, again, not that God's going to demand it. He might not. There's a lot of things the church has done for 2,000 years, good things that's come and gone in the church that's not specifically said in God's word. But what is our attitude towards those things? Have those things become more important than being a healthy church? If we're to be a discipling church, again, some tough love questions. If you're at the point that you can disciple others, why are you not? If you're spiritually mature enough, you can rightly handle God's word, you can teach, so you can disciple others, why are you not? If you're not sure if you're ready, and even if you are sure, come talk to John and I. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to know. And we can help you get ready. But maybe you go, well, yeah, I, I can't disciple others. Okay, if you cannot disciple others, why are you not being discipled? Now, being here on Sunday morning, this is part of discipleship. But it's only one part. Why are you not being discipled? If you find what we're teaching is too challenging, we, we can take a few steps back and start at a more basic level for you. If you find that it's not challenging enough, John and I can ramp it up. Come talk to us. Sometimes people's issue is they, don't, they just don't respect the pastors. Oh, I, I get discipled, but I get discipled from my favorite radio or internet pastor, or I go to another church to get discipled. It's just not here with you. And I sometimes wonder, why do you want to be a part of this church if you don't want to learn from the pastors and you don't want to be part of the community? Those are like the two most important things. And I'll just tell you, discipleship is ongoing for me. I don't know anywhere close to in everything. I'm constantly growing and learning. I love meeting with John Wednesday mornings because I learn stuff from John. And I hope John learns stuff from me. If the pastors are doing this, why not you? The last thing is a humble church. 
and the humble church focuses on the mission of the church. We focus on the mission of the church, not my particular role in it. What kills churches is when, is when people in churches go, this is my ministry, and I'm going to do it. And sometimes they do it quite well, but they totally ignore the rest of the church and the mission of the church. No, if we're going to be a healthy church, everything we do is connected. It's all the community working together. Whenever opportunities arise, and during announcements, we've been talking about children's ministry, youth ministry, there's so many other areas to serve. I'm not telling you you should serve because maybe you shouldn't, okay? Just to be honest. Maybe you have no business like working with kids. But when those opportunities arise, what is your first thought? What I hope your first thought is, is, is it me, God? Am I the one you're saying? I don't think I'm ready, but is it me? And if it is me and I'm not ready, I want to get ready. Or is it, can't be me, God. You must be talking about somebody else. I'm glad the word's getting out there, but you must be talking about somebody else. When opportunities arise, our question should be, is it me, God? Is it me? We can't be too proud to serve in the smallest jobs or the biggest jobs. By the way, a lot of you are on this. You are awesome. You're doing all this already. But you know people in the church who need to hear this. And maybe Pastor John and I will never be the ones who get to talk to them first. Maybe you need to go to them and say, are you being discipled? If not, you know, let's figure out how we can do that. How I can connect you with the pastors. Other opportunities. Do you want to be part of this, this church and this mission and ministry of the church? If so, how? You can start having those conversations with people. You really want to be a Christian brother and sister. Sometimes it does take those very gentle, very loving, but important conversations. We don't want anyone to be left behind as we move forward as a healthy church. And it helps to know that as a healthy church, we're reaching out to those around us that just John and I will never be able to get to. A healthy church, surrendered, discipling, humble.